Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Today, we're actually going to be looking at one of the world's oldest sectors, that of farming, and how it's updating itself for the 21st century. Today's episode is with Charles and Joe Meir. They have been farming for the last two decades, and Charles's grandparents have been on the farm since 1948. Farming is inherently entrepreneurial, and like entrepreneurs, they are often buffeted by things out of their control, such as the weather. It is worth watching Jeremy Clarkson's show on Amazon Prime as he puts the modern-day challenges of farming in a way that only Jeremy Clarkson can. When I was looking into the future of Agritech, there were so many examples of British entrepreneurship and innovation taking place. We're talking to Charles and Joe today because they are pioneering an artificial intelligence insect farming method, which means that CO2 emissions are reduced, food waste on the farm is reduced, and it increases the welfare of the animals. This episode is being brought to you in partnership with the National Farmers Union, who represent almost 50,000 farmers across the United Kingdom. I'll be speaking at their annual conference, and we'll have another episode for you in a couple of weeks' time from there, which looks at how British farmers are continuing to innovate. Now, they say never to work with animals or children, but this was recorded on a farm, so you may hear the occasional animal noise in the back, which I like to think has added to the atmosphere, or at least that's what I told myself in the editing suite. Charles and Joe Meir, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Hello. Hi there. Thank you for having us. So what were your roots into the world of work? Where did you start your first jobs? Uh, well, I started work in London straight out of university. I started in a marketing and PR firm as work experience. And that just let, I preferred the marketing side, so stayed stayed in London for seven years um, until Charles kidnapped me and then I came to the back to the country and uh, ended up got you in a headlock yeah ended up back on the farm <laughs> um, and what about you Charles so I've I've always pretty much been based on the farm I um from leaving school I, I went traveling and I was going to go to the armed forces for a career in the armed forces and unfortunately I had a back injury that prevented that so pretty much came straight onto the farm um, and my father and I sort of sat thinking, what, what are we going to do to create an opportunity for me to be involved at the farm? So that's where we sort of started looking at different options of what was available, what, what, what was a niche product and free range egg production was the only thing that kept coming back to us. So I started researching that, um, while sort of traveling around, seeing my mates at university. Um, and very, very soon we realized we wanted to go into that, commit to it. We put, uh, 12,000 bird unit up, which was the first of its kind in, in East Anglia at that time in 1996. And it was a very, very steep learning curve. We, up until that point, I'd never really been involved with, with poultry at all. We'd got, we'd had pigs and cattle, but uh, never chickens. So it was a very steep learning curve. Uh, but I think sometimes that's the best way to jump in with both feet and, uh, and see what you're capable of. So we soon realized it was something we quite enjoyed. Um, we met some really good people along the way who brought great, great knowledge to to help us. And, uh, within a sort of, within a year, we'd put planning in for a second shed and that's where it all really started. What, what were barren, open, arable fields, which felt like, um, you know, very cold and blustery soon we you know, we had two chicken sheds in planted up with trees to try and break the landscape up and give the hens something to, 
range under it. it it's almost put a heart into the farm that um, people now love to come and walk through. We've got a bridleway straight, straight through the middle and a footpath around the edge of the field up to where's the wood. And, and a lot of people come now and make it part of their sort of feature to come and see the hens ranging on the way up to see the bluebells in Wesley Wood. And Charles, so mid-90s, just as free-range egg farming was yeah, becoming much more of a thing and people were taking much more awareness of this type of thing, what yeah. changes have you seen in what consumers demand over the last 25 years? How's farming changed in that regard? Well, when I first started, um, I think free-range egg production was about seven, 15 or 17% of the sort of total egg market. So it's a very niche product and, and just starting to come through on the shelves, people were starting to look for it. And, you know, very quickly it's become now it's, you know, over that 25 year period, say it's become about 60% of the market, possibly more, and it's pushing faster. So, you know, with the replacement of uh, battery cages and things, people now demand as at the very least a free range egg and, and rightly so, you know, it's um, animal welfare is something this country you know, very good at and very proud of. And it's something that the customer expects as the bare minimum. So that's what's, that's what makes us tick really. We're always, for us, it's not enough just to be free range. It, you know, we want to maintain our shelf space on the supermarket. So for us, it's about where can we go to, what can we do um, to push our brand and to make sure that we're always at the forefront of something that uh, the customer is expecting. So. We're constantly pushing the boundaries of trying to become more sustainable, more environmentally friendly. Um, and that's what's led Joe and I to sort of uh, create the, the businesses that we've done with our full circle growing and our wood farm free range eggs. The, the wood farm free range eggs is the heart of what we do. And that's the catalyst for everything that comes off it. Maintaining that shelf space is, is kind of for us vital. Um, so we, we are always looking to improve and, and, and push our upgreen credentials. With that in mind, in March 2021, you began hosting the UK's first AI-powered insect mini farm, um, partnering with the startup Better Origin. Walk us through how the AI-powered farm works, because there's a lot of talk about AI um, taking jobs and so on, and this is a very practical use of where it's already making a difference in our lives. Yeah, so, so we were introduced by one of my closest friends um, to the, the team at Better Origin in Cambridge. They're, they're a fabulous setup. Um, we were instantly sort of swallowed up with their enthusiasm for what they were doing. And, you know, at that time, I'd never even contemplated black soldier fly larvae. I barely knew what it meant, hadn't seen them. Um, and we were lucky enough to be invited to go over to their, their university setup uh, in Cambridge. And so, I went over with my food nutritionist, Steve Pritchard, a premier nutrition, um, cause he's my guru on everything to do with feed and, and with my friend, we went over to see what it was all about. It was quite an interesting concept, obviously. And with our proximity to Cambridge, Better Origin were very keen to do a trial of, and, and as you, as you say, it was the first, um, black soldier fly, uh, trial globally. So, so for us, it was incredibly exciting. Um, and so when they asked if we would do it or host it on the farm feed our hens we, we obviously jumped at the chance to be working with a team that had such skill knowledge and uh, enthusiasm to drive this part of the industry the container is it's a 40-foot shipping container um and it kind of doesn't do it justice because what goes on inside 
that container is, is, is incredible, really. Um, the first one that we had, the X1, um, we fed our chickens as an experiment for basically about eight or nine months. And then that one went offline and we were, it was replaced with a, a, the, the latest model. Um, and the changes that they'd put in place in the latest model, you know, some six months later were just fascinating. Um, and it, and it's, it's very difficult to explain it because I've signed obviously an NDA, uh, and you know, um, a contract with them. So, um, I can't go into the, the nitty gritty, but what I can tell you is that when you stand inside this container and look around, it's fascinating the, the female part of it, which makes the, the food, which turns our waste wheat and, and waste barley, uh, that comes from the feed mill, it turns, turns that into a soup product that's, uh, injected into these trays that hold the black soldier fly larvae. And uh, the guys bring over, um, it's almost like a, a large tea bag full of a thousand or so um, larvae threads, that are tiny, absolutely tiny. Um, and they grow in this container that's, um, you know, completely. Um, it's on conveyor belts. Yeah. So kind of, it's a whole room full of conveyor belts. And it's, it's like, to me, it's like trying to make a Rubik's cube move. You know, it's, um, they move one direction, then others move in another. And it, it, it's almost. It's like a game of chess in there um, of these black soldiers like going around in these trays over a two to three week period where they grow so quickly from the tiny thread into a grub that's about an inch long. Um, and, and of course, that's about 80 to 90% protein. Um, so we're using all, the concept that Better Origin have come up with is that basically you're turning a waste product into live animal protein that you can feed to the hen. Um, and so we take the waste feed from our, our mill which would normally go in the AD plant, but now we're diverting that to create protein for our chickens. And, and this is the journey that we're on with Better Origin because they've got such vision and enthusiasm of where they want this to go. And we're kind of hanging on to their coattails really because it, it's fascinating. So at the moment we're, we're, we're feeding one of our sheds and um, so that we can monitor the difference, the impact it has. And as you can imagine, our, our hens at the moment are in bird flu lockdown. So, um, they've not been able to go out on the range since the 1st of December, um, probably not likely to go out until the end of March, depending on, uh, timelines and how bird flu is progressing. But, um, we're able to feed these black soldier fly larvae to them in their verandas, which are their like winter gardens and their scratch areas. And so we feed it to them in the morning before letting them into there. And the birds just go mad for them. They absolutely adore them and it keeps them able to continue with their natural foraging, um, habits and their, and their natural instinct to look for, for things that they would be looking for on the range in any event, under the trees and in the dead wood and things like this. So, so we're, we're able to replicate that in the shed whilst using a waste product. Um, and of course it's run off our green electricity. So it's, it's, it's a win-win for us. It's, it's part of our full circle growing concept. And obviously the aim is to reduce the soya intake, um, which we're trying to do because that's brought over from the other side of the world. Um, and that's our Achilles heel is yeah, we, we'd like to become soy free completely. And that's what, that's the next thing that, that, that we're currently working on with better origin is how we use the black soldier fly to supplement the hen's ration in a bid that we can take out the soya or replace the soya with homegrown proteins, um, you know, lupins, beans, um, other things, uh, rape, expel a meal and, and different, different products that are, are, are on our doorstep really, rather than coming over from the other side of the world as Joseph. So for us, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity to work with some very clever people. And Joe, 
what were your first thoughts as a, a background in um, marketeering? What did you think, or sorry, a background as a marketeer? What did you think when this opportunity presented itself? You know, AI insect farming um, is not something that we kind of associate with British farming, perhaps. No, not at all. And I, I was a little bit, um, not sceptical, but, you know, wondering practically how it works, you know, what what would the effects be? What would the consumer think? Um, but actually meeting the guys and seeing it happen and seeing the birds' reaction, like I'm very involved with the hens now and help with them every day. So you get to know them really well. You get to know their behaviour. And as Chelsea said, they adore the um, black soldier fly larvae. It's a real treat for them. And something that Better Origin do is, is they monitor the hens' behaviour, the noises they make, and, and they get all of their special behaviour scientists to yeah. analyse all of these noises. And it's all about excitement and, you know, happiness and... It's it's, yeah. it's it's great. And every day when you do it, the first time you do it, they kind of come out and a little bit inquisitive. And then by day three, they're all just barging out and, you know, nestling their way in. And it's just their, their beaks are down and their tails are in the air. And it's funny to look down the shed and they're all just busy foraging. They, they love it. It's great. We didn't realise, Jimmy, just how many noises, the different types of noises the hen actually uses to communicate to each other. And you can hear the different tones. So when we put the larvae down on the floor before the hens come into it, you can hear the tone in the shed change instantly. They, they must smell it or, or can sense what's happening. And the anticipation they have is just, just remarkable. And it just shows you that, you know, we all think chicken's a bit simple, but they've got so many different communicative skills and ways of, uh, ways of letting things be known to all the others, whether it's a warning or it's a, or it's a, you know, grubs up guys, come and have a go. Um, it's, it's just incredible. Um, and it's, and they've got cameras as Joseph, we've got cameras in there monitoring everything, which, uh, which are then studied by vets over at Bristol university. So, um, to be part of it, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's brilliant for us and it, and it couldn't, it's like hand in glove with what we're trying to do. And it's given us the confidence to move forward and, and sort of try and pioneer with this kind of thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a unique opportunity, which we're so glad to be involved in how many positive sounds can a chicken make i'm slightly putting you on the spot with that but i'm just i am very i, I do find it very interesting it's that very high pitch sort of uh, nasal sound that they come out with um and it's hard i mean obviously please don't ask me to do it pressure. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is it's remarkable it's a very sweet sound it's a very it's a very just exudes sort of happiness from the end and I'm sure Better Origin have got these these sounds recorded that uh, we can put you in touch with them and maybe they can explain it. Miha is the chief scientific officer. Um, he's just incredible with his knowledge on everything to do with gut health and the, the, the larvae and, and where, this, where this experiment's going. Um, and, you know, you talk to him about it, he's just, you know, he's a, he's a huge character and um, he, he can explain this. There's many different types of sounds that they've, they've learned about. So happy to introduce you. Yeah, that would be great. Um, you've outlined the benefits uh, tremendously well there, but but what are some of the challenges of running an AI-powered farm? Well, um, I would have, it, it's another job to do on the farm. Um, and of course, you know, most farmers, 
that I know of, uh, livestock farmers, especially are pretty short on time, you know, um, they're always busy chasing the tail. So, um, it's another job that we have to do, but it isn't difficult. Um, you know, in an idle world, we could have it close to the shed. So, and, and we're working on, uh, designing with, with better origin, uh, a method of, um, using the larvae or, or distributing the larvae into the shed without human sort of interventions and that might be pneumatically by blowing the larvae along pipes into into uh, dropping them into the system um, so that this we don't have to walk in at all and get involved but these are all you know it's the first trial so it's it's, it's early days but there are there are things that better origin are designing at the moment but, could, but the way it's set up um you know you open the back of the container maggots for that morning are all ready so we literally load them up run them up so that that element takes five minutes and then we distribute them we found that uh because because of the popularity of the grubs we're putting them down in the verandas as Charles said then letting the hens out because if you let them out first and then distribute them they get so excited that the ones at the back are going to rush forward to try and get them and it just causes kind of... Yeah, you don't want to cause competition. Yeah. You're not trying to create competition. You're trying to get a lovely, even spread so that basically all the hens get get a, a larvae of some sort, you know. So it's it's about letting... Doing it as evenly as possible. And what's the impact on the the quality of the chickens as a result? So we see... A, we do see a, a, a drop in feed consumption. Um, and we just see a healthier flock. They're much more mobile. They're stronger. They're more active. You know, they've got more intense intensity about them in terms of they're always looking and, and they're just interested in, in anything that's going on. So, so it does make them a lot more, a lot more interested in, in, in life. I think they, they, they've got a lot more excitement to, to be sort of mooching about for, you know. It's another connection as well. Last summer when we were feeding them, because we use this, um, little vehicle to take them up and they know the noise and they know the time that you're doing taking them up which is in the morning but often when we'd go up in the afternoon to do a check using that vehicle you would see them all out on the range suddenly they'd hear the vehicle stop they'd look up they'd all run back to the shed just in hopes that you might be giving them a little eggs for trees a bit like an ice cream van and you know near the <laughs> playground i was just thinking the similarities between my toddler and that were striking um and so with all these benefits um, of kind of insect that insect feed brings to the for, uh, to the farm, um, why aren't more farmers using it yet? Well, I think that's the aim. Is is you know, Better Origin would like to see one of these on every livestock farm in the country. At the moment, livestock farmers in general, especially free range egg producers and pig farmers, you know, are seeing a, ter- a terrible time financially. There's the margin in eggs is gone. Um, you know, the, the retailers are expecting eggs to be um, sold, you know, sort of below cost of production. So, so many farmers in this country are selling eggs to, to their, you know, to their, to their packers below the cost of production and losing money. So there's not, there's no meat on the bone to be able to afford this kind of technology. Um, we're in a position where we, we, we were in a trial without a commercial basis with better origin. Um, and obviously it's something that we have to take the hit for. We can't increase our egg price, but it's something we we feel very strongly about that someone has to be the first to go. Someone has to lead the way on this. And, but I uh, think it's being watched closely. And as soon as 
it's perfected and doing exactly what it needs to do I think it will roll out it's obviously just in a quite early stages at the moment and it's being fine-tuned yeah I mean that said their their containers are pretty much there I think I think that you'd say that they are already they're, they're rolling them out now there are you know there are other people starting to take delivery of them um and so they are in a, they are, they're remarkable. They remotely monitor them. Everything, everything is monitored. And, you know, we get a, we, we've got a WhatsApp group with all the engineers, uh, with the nutritionists and everything. And basically, if, you know, if there's an issue, they WhatsApp us, we just go into the container and we can sort it out. Um, yeah, everything's, everything's monitored. Everything is monitored. It's, it's a phenomenal setup. Um, and as I say, something as simple as a WhatsApp group, you can communicate very easily. And any issues that arise can be put right very quickly. So um, I think the aim is to have one on every livestock farm. Um, it's just early days. It's it's getting getting it no you know it's getting it noticed. It's getting it out there and and making it affordable really. But I think you know with with this kind of pioneering technology, um, egg prices need to go up. I mean our feed prices have gone up extraordinarily high with inflation and, and just you know the commodity costs have gone through through the roof. And feed prices must go up, especially if things like this, um, egg prices got to go up. If, if things like this are going to be a common feature, you know, they need to be accounted for. And, and that means more cost on the egg. But I think customers would be happy to see that if they know that it's been, if their eggs are coming from a farm where this kind of innovative sort of adventure is going on. Yes. And of course, the the kind of farming AF inflation index which the um national farmers union use is kind of running at 21.9 percent when we're recording this at the moment so it is like it is it's it's kind of extraordinary on that side and on that what is the what is the best way that listeners can support british farmers going forward well i mean we're we're in pretty turbulent times at the moment in terms of trade deals where i think most most people would agree uh Farming in this country is always to a very high welfare standard and production standard um, on the global scene. So we just want to make sure that farmers have fair competition. I think we're all in fear that, you know, um, goods will be coming in that aren't produced to the same levels of and the same standards um, that we have to adhere to. And I think it's just, you know, we're not afraid of competition, but it has to be fair competition. But I think by British... Um, you know, look for the red tractor. That's always the fact that it has been produced in Britain as opposed to just packed. Because if you just put a flag of a Union Jack on packaging, people often think, oh, that's come from this country. Well, that doesn't mean that. It just means that it could have been packed in this country. So it's it's the tractor. Um, RSPCA logo. RSPCA is the Freedom Food branch that it, it's one level higher than just being produced in Britain, it also means that the birds have had a, a better lifestyle. Being monitored, you know, by the RSPCA, audited. It's basically supporting British farmers is, is what we would like to see. And local on top of that as well, you know, British and local, obviously then you're reducing food miles and, you know, I think people are looking for local now as well. And, and talk to us about how farms are becoming more sort of self-reliant. Um, Charles, we were just chatting beforehand, you were telling me a story of when you first started out you know eggs would be um you know laid in cambridge but would then go to birmingham to be packed and then sort of back to cambridge to be sold just talk to us about how that's changing as well 
Yeah. So that, I mean, that when we were, when we were producing from a sort of a middleman, we, our eggs, we, we, we were used as the face of sort of Cambridgeshire eggs. Um, but it, it meant that our eggs were collected from our farm, as you say, taken a long way, packed and then brought back to Cambridge. And we just thought this is, this is insane. So that's one of the reasons we sort of set up our, our wood farm free range egg brand. Um, and we distribute direct to the supermarkets from the farm. So, and then we collect from our producers on the way back. So that's a model that I think most packing stations use. It just means that we're able to be more local. Um, you know, everyone's trying to reduce food miles. We're not unique in that, but it's, it's just about for us, the concept of being local means being local, you know, within a 50 to 60 mile radius, um, whilst maintaining you know, we've got to make sure that our eggs are affordable, that our eggs are on the shelves, that we don't run out. We've seen by the pandemic, you know, that um, the shelves, empty shelves don't help, but, you know, not helpful for anybody. So, so we, we've got to make sure that where we can, we can supply our local team. We can make sure that people in our village, for example, have eggs. We've set up a little honesty box during the pandemic so that people could, that couldn't travel to the supermarkets could get eggs. I think a lot of people appreciated farmers a lot more during the pandemic. And there was a reason for that. I think the government needs to realize that farm, you know, British produce uh, is, is very much in demand in this country. We, you know, just before the pandemic, I think there was a leaked document that all our food was going to be imported. Uh, farmers didn't really matter in this country. And I, I think we've seen, you know, firsthand now that uh, British farmers have got a huge role to play. And I think with the, with the support of the British public, uh, we can play our part going forward, especially, you know, to, to make sure we get these COP26 deadlines in place, really. Absolutely. Don't believe everything you read in leaked government documents. I can uh, speak from that <laughs> from first, first hand I'd like experience. To, I'd like to hope that's the case, yeah. <laughs> but talk to us about, you know, the impact of the pandemic. Also, there's been sort of Jeremy Clarkson's uh, farming programme on Amazon. Yeah. Has that made a kind of difference in terms of, you know, people appreciating and, and understanding um, that more of the challenges that are around farming, because it is the oldest form of entrepreneurship um, and perhaps people take it for granted a little bit at times. Yeah, I think Jeremy Clarkson's show has just, it's been remarkable. I, I think um, it's done so much for farming. It's, it's been widely, you know, everybody watching, everybody's talking about it and, and, you know, what fantastic characters there are. And they've demonstrated quite clearly that farming is a way of life, but it's a bloody hard way of life. And a lot of the time it's, um, you know, it's a bit of a thankful task um, and you, you're doing it because you enjoy it. Um, but also you have to be entrepreneurial to try and make things stack up. You know, you, I think it shows you've got to be an engineer, you've got to be a marketing expert, you've got to be um, able to do you know, think on your feet and, and fix things as you, as you go. And I think they've demonstrated that very, very well. I think, you know, people have a very sort of cozy idea of what farming is, but often that's quite a long way off the mark. We're, we're pretty isolated in what we do. Um, I think it's demonstrated that mental health is very important for the rural communities. We really appreciated the farm during the lockdown, obviously, because we had to get out every day and work and the children helped us as well after their online schooling. But on the flip side, it also made us realize that, you know, every day, no matter what happens, we have to go out and look after the hens. And that's what the children are realizing that now, even on Christmas Day, you know, you have to go out and work. It's it's not a job where you get the weekend off, um, no. you know, holidays, holidays are few and far between. But then you have to realize on the flip side, 
we can come in and have a cup of tea with the children in the afternoon when they're about, you know, we're not commuting for an hour on a train every day. I was going to say a very specific question to you on that, Joe. Like lots of people, the great resignation has been happening, you know, sort of almost post the pandemic now. I know we're not quite through it, but a lot of people sort of held on to jobs throughout that, but are now thinking of doing different things. Um, and like you say, it can seem a very idyllic life on a farm. Um, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. But just what are your reflections for those people that are thinking of a career change and thinking they may enjoy rural life? If you enjoy rural life and hard work, then it can be very rewarding, especially, as I said, on the upsides of being able to spend more time with family. However, it's almost that the whole family has to get involved with that as well because... You are out on the farm so much. I mean, our daughter, she's 16 and she often laughs and sits down and says, you know, I spend Sunday morning sometimes when she's had a sleepover. And she said, they, they all just sit down and chill out as a family and have a cup of coffee and talk about the weekend. And, you know, you come into our house and somebody's running in, somebody's running out. You know, there's a visitor here and there's a lorry load of wheat arrived and I've got to rush off and do this. And it's it's a different way of life it's very busy and it's very hard to plan a day out because something happens and we have to deal with it you can't say oh we'll leave it because you, you just can't do that with livestock you know no and what's it what's it like being you know one of the things that we often talk about on the show is entrepreneurs finding co-founders and so on and and obviously as a husband and wife team you you found each other almost before you went into kind of farming how how has that been? Because it must be intense at moments. Yeah, I think it is because obviously we live and work together all the time. Um, however, I think that the more you do together, the easier it is rather than dipping in and out and not completely understanding it and therefore not being on the same page. So it's, it's I think, kind of all or nothing approach. Um, I can't imagine life now where we both say goodbye at 6.30am and meet up again at 7pm in the evening. It, luckily for us, it works really well, but I can appreciate that not all relationships could work like that because it is it is stressful. Um, it, it, it does push you to your limit. It does push you and, you know, you, you don't have the time out and something that we really try hard not to do, but it often always happens is... You, know, you think, right, we'll go out for a meal. We'll try and, you know, have a break. And then you're sat and having a drink and suddenly talking about, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what jobs we've got to do on the farm. <laughs> Without even realising it. Yeah. No, I um, yeah. I can imagine and, and credit to you for, for being able to do it. Because you did start initially, if I'm right in saying, Joe, kind of d- dipping in and out. But it's you've actually found it easier being sort of fully committed to it. I found it really stressful when I moved back but was commuting and I had children. I found it really stressful because I'd I'd known what it was like to live and work in London pre-children and it didn't matter that you were still sat at your desk at half past seven at night and actually someone might say, let's go for pizza and a drink and and that's nice. But when you've got children really young and you know it's going to take an hour, an hour and a half to get home, and your boss has just said he'd like a meeting and it's already six o'clock. I found that really stressful and it started making life less enjoyable for me. And one thing I've said to all of the children is no matter what job they end up doing, but especially if it's on the farm, 
I want them all to go away and work somewhere else first because I just don't think you appreciate the fact that you don't have to commute, the fact that I don't have a boss that I have to answer to. That's something that you you can't value unless you've experienced it before. I agree. And what do you think? And I, th- I think that's very, very good advice um, on that. If they were to be on the farm in, in 20 years time, what do you think the, the future of British farming looks like? I mean, you guys have you know been at the forefront of a lot of this stuff, you know, right back in the late 90s, sort of saying, you know, not enough to be free range. You've installed these online static mills that are solar powered. You're very keen to be zero waste. What does the next 20 years of British farming look like? Well, there's a lot of exciting things going on at the moment. Um, obviously, having just left the EU, we're waiting for some strong policies to come out from government. But um, um, I think it's really important we get some fair trade deals. Uh, that's going to be critical to see where and what sort of support we're going to get um, going forward. But there's some interesting concepts coming out about re- you know regenerative, regenerative agriculture, um, nature-friendly farming. And then there's a lot of things that are happening at the moment, even on... Nearly all farms are taking part in environmental land management schemes. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more sort of tree planting, a lot more hedgerows, uh, a lot more public access, perhaps in certain areas. Um, I think it need, I think we need to be more engaged with the public. I think the public needs to be more interested in what we're doing. I think we've got to be hand in glove rather than sort of um, policies coming out. That uh, we've got to work together. I think is the way forward. Um, so that people do understand where the food's coming from. I think that's going to be critical. I think as well, in the stuff that Better Origin are doing, that will grow tremendously over the next couple of decades. And I'm hoping that all animal feed and even majority of human feed will be produced in this country so that we don't have to import big containers of oil and other ingredients. You know, I, I think it's all about producing everything in this country locally, um, fixing the diet so that they can be perfect for the animal but produced with our own crops i hope it's not all too automated and uh you know there is still a lot of human contact with the animals and but yeah i I think it won't be uncommon to see containers of bugs and grubs on farms that are feeding their livestock up from waste yeah you know one thing we always talk to our children about is is, you know when you hear someone like david attenborough on the tv and he you know, he's asked a basic question, what, what could he, any one of us do um, to help protect the planet? You know, and he, his answer was just avoid waste. I think we, we waste about a third of the food, food on a global scale that we produce. And I think that's where, you know, we have to address that. That's something that as, you know, as a country or you know, as the world, we have to address waste. And, and things like these bug factories are a great way of doing that. I think it's a shame in a way that um, British farming is clubbed together with, let's say, American farming when they're taught about it in schools. For example, you know, the the carbon footprint of beef and it's all talked about as grain-fed cattle. And we try and explain to the children that, yes, that's how it's done over in America, but we're very different in this country. We try and do a lot more pasture-fed and it's sad that the children go home believing all of these facts when they're not actually true to our country. They're very outdated, a lot of the things that are taught in schools now. And I think that's where someone like the NSU has a great role to play. Um, we need to engage more with schools. So that's something we're, we're actively doing at the moment. We're trying to 
get more school visits to the farm here so they can see where their eggs come from, how green electricity is produced, how soil, peak-free soil conditions are produced. You know, we engage with our local school. Um, we, we, that's something we want to do going forward is, you know, perhaps get a classroom here so we can actually have some London schools coming out to see us um, so that people actually understand what's going on. And I think that's the role that we have to do now is, is, to, is to engage more with, with communities that don't ever get a chance to come into the countryside. You will be um, very pleased to know that when I went on my first school farm trip, that and my mum reminds me of this still now, 25, well, probably 30 years on, frankly, that my first question about lambing was how big do they have to be before you can eat them? So that was my, <laughs> that was, that was my question. But I think, you're t- and, and the, the waste point you're making, by the way, the, and the Attenborough quote, I think is a very good one. And there is a tendency to think, oh, well, it's all corporates that do a lot of the wasting in the supermarkets. But actually, the at the end of last series, we had Tessa Clark on, the founder of Olio, which is doing a huge amount in the space. And most mm. of the waste comes from people in the home. So actually, that is where you know we can make a, a real difference on these things. Um, and just talk to us about the NFU and how you find it, because, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a farmer can be quite a lonely um, existence. And as you say, there are many roles and functions that you have to to do. How does the kind of NFU support with that? Well, being an NFU member, it's, it's a bit like having a lifeline to a, a multitude of professionals from lawyers to accountancies to tax experts. Uh, we've used one recently about uh, trademarking. Uh, it, it's, you have to make lots of decisions about all of these aspects. And obviously we don't have experience in all of these. And yeah, you can, I, I tend to find the best way is I go on the NFU platform, write in my question and I've used them three times this month, Wow! get a phone call back and they're always try and help you as much as they can. It's a brilliant service and it, it's like having a an arm around you you know whenever you have got a stressful situation and you've got a query you know that you can get professional expert advice at the end of the phone call um and it's 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 well and truly worth every penny i think it's a, it's a great service that i'm using more and more pretty relieved that minette batters is uh, is heading it up and communicating with our politicians that i think she's uh, quite a special leader for the NFU at the moment so i think we're in good hands with her at the helm I, I tell you, Minette and Terry Jones are two of the most yep. formidable um, operators when coming into government that uh, I ever encountered. Um, unlike a lot of lobby groups, they um, they get straight to the point and they they call a spade a spade, as they say. They are they are very very effective, and it's amazing to have heard about the work that they do supporting innovative British farmers like you. It's been brilliant to engage with them and, and put this podcast together and to hear about all the amazing work that you guys do. And we encourage people to um, to go and check you out and, and hear about the future of British farming. Thanks so much for coming on and giving your time, Joe and Charles. Thank you very much. It's been a pre- pleasure. Thank you. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm speaking at the National Farmers Union Conference in a couple of weeks. 
where I'll be speaking to 3,000 farmers in the Birmingham Symphony Hall. I'm sure it'll be an experience that they, nor I, am going to forget. If you'd like me to come and speak at your events or businesses about jobs of the future, about how to build great teams and about how to stem the great resignation, then just drop us a line at hello at jobsofthefuture.co and the team will get back to you about how we can work together. Thanks very much for listening.